I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast, stage three of the Tour de France, the first sprint stage. We've been sort of blessed with the two exciting stages to open up the race, and now we've got the traditional sprint stage. It was quite difficult, actually, from Amorabieta Echano to Bayonne, which is just north of Biarritz. I'll be going on holiday there shortly, actually, so I was checking out the coastline. 194Ks. I really thought there was a chance for the break to go all the way today, but with, with uh, 4K, 5.7% climb, 2,500 meters of climbing and up and down all day, but the last categorized climb was with 91 kilometers to go. Um, so, yeah, it, it might have been too easy to control for the rest of the race. Um, but, yeah, when the break formed, Benji, were you surprised that nobody really cared that it was only a couple of teams that wanted to jump in the breakaway? Well, on one end, Paulus is an expected rider to go in the breakaway because he wants to once again secure K1 points and therefore secure some more safety in that classification. He's likely a rider that should be able to do quite well on the later terrain in the K1 points as well. So it's not like he's only good at the early ones like Ford last year. So that's something beneficial for him. To show another rider that went in the breakaway and... It's shocking that it's an only two-rider breakaway. Maybe there were other pushes, other attempts for larger breakaways to concede. But there's so many teams, so many sprinter teams that are like, oh, I don't want the big breakaway. So they're going to try and catch every single one that's six, seven plus riders. So I think that's a major effect to why we only have a two-man breakaway here. The matter is that so many sprint teams just wanted a sprint. Yeah, I was surprised though. Okay, so the break isn't a big problem so you don't have to put a rider to chase if you're israel or if you're into marche i would say that doesn't mean other teams couldn't have played this stage differently mm-hmm. and I'll, I'll pick out a few of them so yumbo are not going to chase and they're not going to probably put a rider because it's the one day the first sprint stage they can get away with other teams doing it but if you're into marche trek israel and you want to get a result out of this stage you have to pace those climbs full gas, mm-hmm. all the climbs on on this parkour, uh, because you want to put work into Jakobsen, Gronewegen, Wellsford, Bauhaus, even Philipson a little bit, because that gives Binny and Pedersen a much better chance to win. You don't really have a big old lead out with a top last man anyway. So if I was those teams, that would have been my approach, is making it like UAE, UAE had a stage yesterday, which was on the fringe. Yeah. It was possible that a group of 80 could have gone to the finish yesterday. It, but UAE made the entire race so difficult that that didn't happen. And I, I thought other sprint teams, even with that break, where I thought, okay, if you're Israel, you sure you don't want to put Simon Clark in that break? Ooga ooh. Yeah. If you're even, uh, yeah, a few other teams, I thought, okay, EF Magnus Court or... If a good group of five riders went and there was a climb where they could have formed the breakaway, I don't know. I, I thought, I think the reality is a lot of teams, 70% plus, have brought a sprinter. And today they say, okay, today we go for the sprinter and they just look at it that way. But yeah, that's 
Kalos took up the points. He then dropped himself after the last Cat 3. Predictably, no point continuing on with it. And Pichon basically uh, went and took combativity and went as deep into the race as possible. Was there... What happened at the IS, Benji? Because uh, there was a bit of some tactics uh, before <laughs> the IS. Yeah, Victor Lafay, the man of yesterday, in his uh, invisible green jersey. i got to be honest. If I get a helicopter shot and there's a green jersey in the peloton, in its current form, I don't recognize it at all. I can't pick it out. It's like Waldo. You're looking for Waldo or Wally. I don't know what the English version is. And hey, he's going into the attack before the intermediate sprint. And I was like, ooh, interesting. We see some action because otherwise the stage was pretty boring at that point. So he spices it up and he does that and gets 15 points at the intermediate sprint. Obviously, Paulus and Pichon take points before him, but we also get a sprint after Lafay. And we see that being won by Peterson. Bit of a chaotic sprint again. These intermediate sprints have been pretty chaotic with, I feel like the last one we saw yesterday, Von Poppel really came around and then Mayes was not in his wheel. And then we had other people trying to come around. So it's like, there are sprinters that don't want to put their eggs in the basket of the intermediate sprint. Like... I don't think Wellsford wants to go all out for this intermediate sprint because he probably doesn't feel like he can do anything for green. So he's probably putting all eggs in the basket of the final sprint. While yeah. a Peterson is probably, ooh, I'm probably going to get more points at the intermediate sprint if I go all out versus the finish line. And do you feel like that maybe costs those sprinters extra at the line? Or do you think that it's nah. right from Peterson to say, okay, go all out for the intermediate sprint? I, I don't think, I mean, where is it? 130Ks from the finish and they're yeah. cruising for a lot of the race afterwards. It's just a sprint to open up the legs. I don't, I don't see these guys do tens, you know, multiple sprints in training that already, I don't think. If they're holding back, I mean, maybe they, they don't take a full risk. If they're like, okay, am I going to take a risk to move up from fifth to fourth and take like five at one extra point? Probably not. Uh, there's more points at the finish anyway. But yeah, we get into the, it is very predictable what happened next, which is siesta time after Palace <laughs> dropped. And then once they got to about 40, 50 Ks to go, I think about 50 just before Saint-Jean-de-Luz, some great scenery after the last serious climb of 1.2 Ks, 9%. Uh, it's like every DS on their Velo viewer had a reminder to tell their team to get to the front and start pacing. That included GC teams. Now, why Lotto Destiny are setting up their train at 45Ks to go, I don't really know. Like, Because if you're a sprint team, if you're caught behind a crash mm -hmm. at 45Ks to go, you're going to come back. And even if you don't, I mean, that could also be the same for GC teams, frankly. Like... I think they're more worried about not crashing with the furniture. But yeah, and even if you don't come back, it's not like you've lost GC. And I think the better game theory thing is to give yourself the best position if you want to win the stage, not come third or fourth, yeah. is to save as much as possible like actually uh, UNOX tried to do. And Alpes, not Alperson, but UNOX tried to do and then move up late and, and actually save energy. But anyway, Lotto were there. Yumbo got the call up for Van Bala, Benoit and Van Hoydonk. On the other side, I was quite impressed with uh, FDJ and Vandenberg. Yep. Luke didn't pay me to say that um, for group for Gadu. On the other, and then the far side, Quickstep were outstanding. I, I must say, Quickstep really like locked down that left side of the road as they looked at it for like forty kilometers. Hundred percent. They also basically claimed it as their territory, right? In certain corners, in certain roundabouts, they swooped from left to right. There, the road was there is the way they were acting, but it also helped Jakobsen to be in the perfect position yeah. without spending that much energy trying to move the, to the front with the train in later phases because while Quickstep is holding that team at the front, while Quickstep is holding Jakobsen at the front, we've got 
DSM trying to come around on the other side with seven riders in the same way that they do all the time in the past. And then we've got another team, Anton Marche, trying to come through in every single direction. Then they lose half of their train. Then they come back together in the middle. Then they're in a position where they can't hold it. So then Yumbo is in a position in the middle suddenly because Yumbo's been trying to keep Vingegaard safe until the three kilometer rule is how I see it. And they've been doing that on one side of the road. But at a certain point, they were in the middle with Vingegaard in the wheel of Van Hoydonk. And not on safe that nicely, huh? Yeah, he was really impressive. UA, I think, kind of actually did the smart thing in the end. And I don't really think they had a choice. And, and this is, UA might be stronger in the mountains, but definitely, like, as I've said many times, Langen and Bjerg cannot keep Pogaccia at the front in these stages. Yep. And so you have a choice. You try and move up inside a sprinter in the gutter to get into front position for a couple of kilometers and then get washed back. Or you just do the Adam Yates and you sit at the back and you just, if there's a crash and you lose time, so be it, but you're not going to crash yourself deliberately and, or not deliberately, but put yourself in a position to crash. I've got a fly harassing me as usual. Um, and so <laughs> UA basically disappeared. Yep. Completely disappeared. We, we had a, the helicopter shot wouldn't pan back. And, and of course, if Pogaccio had a mechanical or there was a crash, they'd show it. So we could just presume UA were at the back. And so Pogaccio started Adam Yatesing and it didn't matter. So they almost, yeah, they weren't in the hectic, whereas Vingegaard was really trying to stay in front position. Now there's ups and downs. There's two sort of 3% climbs of mm -hmm. about two and a half minutes duration back to back. And then there's obviously descents off those, which were actually steeper than the climbs themselves. And eventually Van Hoydong's gone. And so Vingegaard, it's the road furniture in this stage. Now, maybe they thought the climbs before would thin out the peloton, but this was a full peloton. No one was dropped. Pichon was caught, obviously. The road furniture, I've almost never seen anything like it, Benji. It, we had roundabout, 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 speed bumps, narrow roads, U-turn. closes, opens, U-turn at 2Ks. I'm less mad about the U-turn, honestly. Yeah. They all knew that was coming. Everyone yeah. knows the U-turn's there, but there's these dividers. Some of the dividers you can cross and ride over. Some of the dividers have a barrier at the start, which is actually at waist level, so in the peloton you can't see it. It, and not all of them were signaled. It's actually a mirror. I thought for sure there'd be a big crash today. Um, and it's actually a miracle there wasn't. I thought so as well because I was really nervous, eh? Like we saw some situations with riders being squeezed and so forth. And sometimes that can lead to a crash, sometimes not. But it's also because, like you said, there's these small hills, these two and a half minute climbs, roughly. And you see people trying to half wheel each other, teams trying to half wheel yeah. each other at the front of the peloton. And that's also stressful because then you go into the descent with people trying to be at the front all at the same They're sprinting. time. They're literally sprinting to be at the front. And that's where the danger is as well. If there's a roundabout or some road furniture in the middle there, then it's also very sketchy. But in the end, Quickstep was honestly the strongest team until 1.2 kilometers to go. Lampart was outstanding. He really was excellent navigating the road furniture um, and keeping Quickstep in front position. The problem for him was they were a little bit short on and so we get into like the last 1500 meters all the gc guys are, are safe forget about gc Quiato mm -hmm. and turner were like leading out a non-existent ineos gc team which was i mean <laughs> Quiato just made i don't know anyway as you say lampart pulls off bell bill bow would help position bauhaus i think and jakobsen makes the decision and it was kind of made for him yumbo get into the middle of his train and that's smart because I'm looking at the how far it's to go. 1,700 meters for Asgren and Merku, way too far. Yeah. So 
Jakobsen being on Merku's wheel third wheel is a sitting duck. So he slides back and he goes on to Van Aert's wheel, which is a good wheel because Jakobsen won the Tour de France first stage last year from, yep. from Van Aert's wheel just about. He came over the top of him. So he knows he's, quick, he's quicker than Van Aert in a drag race. And then Alperson do what Alperson do best, Benji. You know X had been okay, but then faded. Same with... Uh, oh, no. It was Asgren went off the front. Yep. And Merku kind of either got shuffled back or Kristoff let his wheel go. Or I don't know how Asgren got off the front or whether it was Petit had got in the middle of that and then wasn't strong enough to hold it. Yeah, there was something that happened in that situation at 1.2, 1.3 kilometers to go, where Asgain went off the front a tiny bit into like a, a right-hand bend. And then we see Alperson with three riders realize, okay, we need to close this person down. Let's get past the riders that are at the front. And they get towards, they get towards uh, Osgrin. But it was kind of sketchy because I feel like they almost crashed when they caught him. Uh, the third rider for Philipson, so the second person in front of him, I actually don't know who it is. Was it Ricard? Was it Carl Anderson? I don't know. I couldn't tell from the helicopter angle. But Vanderpool was in the wheel and one, well, Vanderpool took the left side and the other lead out rider took the other side and they had to try and come around and Osgreen didn't really know where to go. So he kind of just went backwards and whew, I'm glad no one crashed there, but they continued that onwards and we've got this lead out now settling out where at 500 meters to go, we see the launch of Vanderpool within the wheel, Philipson, within the wheel, Vanard. And honestly, at that point, I was like, it's between Vanard and Philipson. Yeah. There's no one else that I believe at that point has a chance of winning the stage. Because half of the sprinters are fighting in the shadow realm at that point. They're fighting behind. You're going to have to move up in the wind. Vanderpool is going to launch both of these guys at really, really high speed. And it's not like he's going to launch them at 350 either. So with the sprint being 10 to 12 seconds or less, there's just these guys are too high level that if you're, unless you're Groenewegg and May or Jakobsen right on the wheel, which they weren't, you're not winning. And so that's basically what happened. We had Phil, uh, Van der Poel launching Philipson. He moves to the left because it's a bending, right, we'll get to the bend. It's a bending <laughs> right-hand finish. Van Aert actually starts his sprint before Philipson. He tries to get the jump on him and jumps on the inside of the right-hand bend as it's bending around gently. Starts to move up actually with decent speed because he got the jump. And then Philipson uh, swings across and moves over to the right-hand side as it, following the bend, but we'll, we'll discuss how far he moved. Van Aert has to break. I don't, on, when I first watched it without the heli shot, I was like, oh, maybe he could have got through that gap. But when you see the helicopter shot, he either crashes or breaks or has to give uh, Philipson a big elbow. And Philipson wins the stage easily, ahead of Bauhaus coming in second, you in third, Jakobsen fourth, Van Aert fifth. Uh, Cavendish six is actually a better first start than I expected yeah. um, compared to how he was going in the Giro early stages. Especially in such a chaotic sprint. Yeah. Because Binyam got bullied away, for example. Wellsford got bullied away, for example. There's loads of sprinters that got bullied away. And the fact that Cavendish was still in a position where he could fight for that sprint says that he was there in a position that he can still compete in. Obviously, not for the victory. I am somewhat surprised. Well, I'm actually not surprised by the fact that Bauhaus was competing yeah, in always. this sprint. Chaotic sprints plus Bauhaus equals a good result, right? Always up there. And he nearly actually won this stage uh, on, <laughs> in the official's office. But yeah, <laughs> Mayer 7th, Groenewegen 8th, Pedersen 9th, Cockard 10th, Binium 11th, Mozzato, Wellsford, Christoph. So it's, it's a deep list of sprinters. Like there's not many bad sprinters in that top 10. Really, really high quality field. Uh, we've got to talk about, so Phillips and wins. 
Uh, Van Aert wasn't visibly... He didn't throw his hands up, you know, when he... He did something, but I don't know what it nah, was. No, but it wasn't like him and Sagan, like, yeah. last year on stage three where Sagan swore it. He wasn't like, fuck you, Philipson, yeah. I'm the king of Belgium. It, yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Or maybe he said it <laughs> after, I don't know. But there wasn't anything like that. But then we see Philipson, he goes to the winner's interview area, and all of a sudden his partner is giving him uh, the phone. Yeah. A phone. And it's... He's, he's holding it landscape. And most people don't hold anything landscape unless they're watching video. Yeah. And even on Twitter or something, you watch it in vertical. So he's watching a replay of the stage very clearly. And they've got now an, a nervous look on their face. So clearly the sprint had been referred to whatever the VAR, the commissaire's VAR. Um, I, have got the hat. I have got the hat here. I'm not putting it on. We will do, I'm not, I'm not uh, enforcing any relegation. I think with a bend like this mm -hmm. and with the barriers coming in and out, it's the first problem is the parkour, not the rider. Yeah. I, do I think Philipson knew what he was doing and he also went when the barriers opened up again, he still went all the way to the barriers. Yeah, he knew what he was doing. Did he know what was there jumping him early? I don't know, but... It's too grey an area to say, ah, oh, clear relegation. I haven't looked at where he actually started his sprint um, because he does it. It's like the two movements, the move when Vanderbilt first launches him and then there is space for Wout and then it's really hard to tell whether he moves again or whether the barriers cave in a bit around the bend and the barriers are, are what come up against Wout ahead. Um, I don't know. So... No relegation, in my opinion. Um, but it would have been interesting to see what would have happened if Wout found a gap. I think so as well. So we look at this corner and we see that Philipson is following the bend, but not really the bend. He's also going into the bend a bit more as the bend completes. Now, in the race organizer's manual, there is a line that says that there should not be a bend in the final straight. Should. That's not, must not be, but yeah. should means that you're advising a race organizer to not have a bend in the final sprint. In the rule set, we've always spoken about lanes and lines and so forth. It's actually quite funny. In the English rules of the UCI, the rule of relegation, we've spoken about it so many times, I actually don't know it by heart anymore, which is kind of sad, <laughs> but you can't deviate from your line after launching your sprint is what's in one of the rules. So one says line, and then if you go to the penalties in the rules section, it says lane. So in one section, it says line. And in the other section, it says lane. Yeah. A line to me is exactly straight, which means that you need to go through the corner diagonally. Yeah, which yeah, yeah. Which Philipson kind of did. It's the quickest line. Well, is that, that's not diagonally, right? Well, so Philipson, yeah, Philipson went from, because it was, it, it bended, bent, one, uh, bent one way and then came back. He went from like the apex of the other on the, and then went straight to the other in a left, straight line to the other uh, apex of the other bend. So I think most sprinters, particularly old sprinter, older sprinters that you'll hear retired sprinters on, on punditry, they will, I mean, they probably don't look at the rules, but they will all say, yeah, that's, every sprinter should do that because if you don't do that, you'd lose the sprint. Yeah. So it's better to win the sprint. Always it's better to win the sprint on the road and then leave it up to the officials yeah. because you know, you're probably not going to get relegated 90% of the time unless you do something or crash a guy. And yeah, so I really think first sprint stage of the tour, 
It is disappointing that ASO couldn't find a straight, a straight stretch of 200 meters for the I can't first, that. yeah, first sprint. And also with the barriers coming out like that, that always causes problems. The mistake well. is at the at the parkour builder for me. Yes, Philipson maybe deviates a bit more into a corner or, or somewhere, but I'll be honest about it. If you if you look at a corner and you say to a rider, would you like to sprint directly parallel to every part of the corner? Yeah, good like, luck like, doing you're that. On, like you're on train tracks. Yeah, good luck doing that. Yeah. That's not as simple as it sounds. Even if you're a pro sprinter, parallel to the corner, I'll be like, okay, well, let's try and do that. I might actually go to the right or left a bit at a certain point, and yeah, I might hinder another rider. Yeah, Philipson might have looked to the barrier a bit more and tried to find that because that's a beneficial line for him. But you're making it so much more difficult to judge deviations yeah. by not having a straight line. Next to that, it's also more, more dangerous because... Deviations lead to crashes. Yeah. Well, what if Wout's like, you know, tries to force the issue through that gap? He he chose to fight another day, I guess. Um, what do you do? You think he, who do you think would have won? I don't know. I I think still Philipson, but it would have been closer because Philipson was getting back up to speed. Like, but he also didn't look like he had the biggest acceleration. To no, it was closer than I thought. It wasn't like he just skipped away, right? Yeah. Because if he had, this is the thing, right? If Philipson has way more burst and clears Wout mm-hmm. and he's just in front of his front wheel, we don't even have this discussion. Because the, the fact was Wout had come alongside him because Philipson wasn't going that fast at that moment in time. Uh, whether he changed it, I don't know. But would have been interesting. Uh, but I think both of us very, very, very much thought Philipson was, is the best printer in the world and gets the job done. And, and the reason I also think he's the best printer in the world is because, yeah, he... He, he doesn't let Wout through because he's like, I'll leave it in, you know, I'll just do the best sprint possible and see what happens. That being said, despite I feel like he is the best sprinter in the world, I feel like his lead out is what made the difference today. I still feel like Vanderpool went early because he had to, because yeah, they didn't have bit. enough riders, but other lead outs weren't non-existent. So if you have the strongest lead out and you have to launch early, you're still better than all the other lead outs that are behind you, unable to do any lead out at all. And everybody's following your sprinter anyway. And I think that's why we got to a situation where Wout Fanat jumped a bit early while Philipson was also jumping. And I swear that Philipson launched significantly earlier than he usually jumps in the wheel of Vanderpool. If we compare it to today and so forth. Yo, I think he wanted to be first to that apex around yeah. the bend. Yeah. Um, and and Vanart jumped early because he was looking for that himself. But in terms of the green jersey, uh, I don't know what happens with Countback, but Lafay and Philipson are on equal 80 points. I, I assume Lafay keeps it because yeah. they, they both won a stage and he has better stage. And he's French. No, that's not a rule, but... It could be. Um, <laughs> but I, he'll be losing it tomorrow, I dare say. KOM Palace extends his lead. Uh, he's still in first on 18 points. He even got the red bib shorts. No changes, Yumbo uh, in teams and Pogaccia leading the youth classification. So tomorrow, Benji, we have... Oh, speaking of Pogaccia, we didn't discuss it yesterday because it happened sort of after yep. the podcast recording. Uh, on live TV, while they're doing showing the classman or while he was cooling down on the trainer, they showed Pogaccia like regaling Adam Yates with the story of Van Aert throwing his bid on. Because the bid on throw, we're not talking about when Wout punched the bars straight after Lafay won. After the finish, maybe another 50 meters after Van Aert got his bit on, threw it on the ground, and Pagacha regaled Yates with this story, um, sort of laughing at, laughing at Wow Van Aert. So what, what do you reckon? Good, good stuff for Netflix, I'm sure. I love the drama. Yeah. That's for sure. There's some people that are saying that it's immature and so forth. I think both situations are a bit immature. I understand the frustration of Wout Van Aert losing the stage. 
throwing a beat on afterwards is a bit over the top, but I, I enjoy people having personality, yeah. writers having personality, so I don't mind it at all. Then apparently Sports, I wrote an article about him also, um, also throwing his bike around, around the bus and so forth, and then hearing shouting in the bus of, of Yumbo afterwards. It's possible, but I'm pretty sure that's just him cursing about the fact that he lost the stage and not cursing at Jonas or something for yeah, not yeah. taking over in the end. I'm, I'm fairly certain Wout does not blame Jonas we, at all. Were you surprised situation. it blew up that much? Because it kept going and like... Hey, Belgian media, my friend. But Jumbo had to like front the whole media this morning. Like everyone had to give interviews. Van Hooydonk, Van Aert, Zayme. Hey, they all had to front the media. Why did Kelderman, after yesterday's yeah, that, stage... And Masters. Why did they give an opinion about whether Jonas should have paid or not? There should have been like one simple answer from everybody in the same way that we spoke about Quickstep and the Demko and their communication needed yeah, to be one yeah. clear-cut answer. Should have been the same here. Yeah, they seem to agree that Jonas should have taken over, but they, well, they say it from a standpoint of, in hindsight, he probably should have, but it's a situation that's so unique that... I don't even think that Kelderman was saying he should have. I think he said... They're like, if Jonas took over, would you guys have, would you have caught Lafay? And he's like, yeah, probably. Because we didn't yeah. in, in the end. So we did need one extra rider. Yeah. But, um, so yeah, and, and that's, and then it, it blew up. So, you know, Belgian media, obviously, they want, they want Wout Van Aert to win the stage. He will probably win a stage. I mean, he, he got close today. He probably would have come second at worst. So, um, but yeah, it's, it's good drama. And I think it's building up. It kind of feels, like, to me, this is going to go over Benji said, it kind of feels like the Ashes test. I feel like there's something brewing between Yumbo and UAE. The Ashes what? The cricket. So it's a big, I'll do a quick explain. So the Ashes is a, every two years, a cricket series between England and Australia. It's been happening, one of the most historical series for a long time. And it's like the most high intensity, bad blood, big, Mate, you know, series. The it's, only reason you're hyped right now is because Australia won. Yeah, of course we won. I mean, uh, so we, before the live stream yesterday, I was waiting. I was like, we're not starting until Stokes is out. And then saw it on it, like, bang, we're on. Okay. Uh, anyway, good anyway, back to superior it's like when It's like when Flanders plays Wallonia in, in football. Um, Flanders at does the, not play Wallonia Cup. in football. At the World Cup. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, at the, or the Commonwealth Games. So, what? to me, this is, this is UAE and Yambo. I feel like we've not seen the last of the drama. Because Van Aert's well, seen that from Pogaccia. Yeah. And I think there could be some more drama, which I'm excited for. Like, and on one end, you've always got people that are looking at the sport, maybe through some traditional glasses, like, oh, that's, that's something we don't want to see in the sport. But I got to be honest, that is the shit that will make the sport grow. Yeah, yeah. Not, not people being happy in interviews. Oh, I'm happy. No, I, I, I'm not mad at Pogacar for doing it. No, we, people want drama. People come to the sport for drama. And if you want the better sport, have some more drama. But also, the funny thing is, like, I, I, getting back to the Netflix series, if you haven't watched our review of that, Benji and I, before the Tour de France, did a painstaking review of the series uh, on, on the podcast. So go and check that out if you haven't already. But there's no drama they need to manufacture. Yeah. Like, well, to be fair, they had drama and didn't use it. True. So, so maybe the second season they go for a little bit more. Um, but anyway, just stay tuned for that because I think thing is brewing. Anyway, tomorrow is an even more... Nailed on sprint stage from Dax to Nogoro. Probably not saying that correctly. We're in the sort of, yeah, heading towards the Pyrenees. I drive, this is the way I drive on the way to San Sebastian, actually, through Dax. There's also some good, good jumps horses, Benji. Good jumps horses in, Mate, this, in this area of France. Really. I heard your horse won the other yeah, week. actually, it did. Made of gold. Won in Australia by six lengths. It actually could be, it actually could be really good. Like Melbourne, I'm not, I'm not going to say Melbourne. Are you rich now or I'm not what, are say, we what are we saying? No, no, it was a maiden. It was a maiden. <laughs> But um, <laughs> it could be quite good. 
it's a long distance horse. I mean, to be to win long distance races in Australia, not the highest quality. Uh, it's like the sound of sort of under, eh? Well, no. So, so, so it's an imported horse from the UK. Okay, or so it's you're finding Irish. talent abroad because in Australia you don't have good horses. We don't have good long distance horses. Best best sprinters in the world, though. Yeah. Um, like Nature Strip, etc. And Winx was the best. Anyway, I'm Black Caviar. Um, tomorrow's a sprint stage, unless there's crosswinds, but I don't think there will be. Uh, there's a couple of lumps and bumps. One cat four, one point palace won't even go in the break himself tomorrow. There's a Notre Dame de Cycliste. There's the intermediate sprint. That might be, there's a, there's a motorway uh, service station with the Air de Pyrenees, which has like a, a memorial to the Tour de France. I'm not sure if that's that, the Notre Dame de, of cycling, but uh, I've been there and taken a video. This is the big boy sprint tomorrow again, Benji. Who have you got? I don't know how. I think this might be less technical to run in. I hope so. Ooh, stage four sprint. I think... We saw today that the Alpacin train is really ahead of other trains when it comes to the level in the actual sprint. We see that Quickstep is good at positioning themselves before the sprint, but then lose it when the actual final leadout happens. And... Now I saw Patrick say, oh, so I'm shocked that there's something crazy in the last kilometer. This finishes on a motorway circuit. This is crazy. <laughs> this is like the Volta San Juan finish. Okay. Sorry, I'll, sorry for cutting you off, Benji. I'll run through. We've got a... Who's uh, the car equivalent of a cyclist? <laughs> what do you mean? Like, oh, who's a... Uh, is Pogacar Verstappen? No, he'd have, to, he'd have to actually win the Tour de France to be that. But um, he'd done it twice, so... Not again. Um, <laughs> we've got a roundabout and then we enter a motorway circuit at Nogara and we just go back and, and these motorway circuits they're cambered and there's lots of they're basically non-breaking bends because uh, hot take motor cars go faster than cyclists going 65 kph so I, even though it looks like there's loads of bends they won't be breaking I don't think in most of these mm -hmm. um, but it will be very fast Richese and Simmons went on a flyer. I'm going to base this all off that San Juan. So you can get off the front and win, but this is the Tour de France, not Volta San Juan. There was so much wind that day. Yeah, yeah. It is straight, the finish, thank Christ. It looks like it's actually very, very uh, straight. It's a finishing straight on the circuit. circuit. Um, Sam Wellsford wins. Yeah, I think it's a big boy. I think Wellsford's not a bad shout. I'm going to go with Fabio. I liked him today, um, and it's an easier day tomorrow. I, I didn't even see him today at the end, so... I need to look to see what happened because maybe he got chopped out of it or I don't know. What uh, do you mean you liked him today? As in up to the last kilometer? Quick, quick, quick Step's positioning was much oh, better. Okay. Their train was much better than I anticipated, Agreed. actually. Agreed. Um, and, and so I think, and Mercu's done the San Juan. And yeah. so they, they, they know motor circuits. Unless he's got a mechanical again. No, no. Today was the mechanical day and he didn't have one. So okay. miraculous. Um, maybe on stage eight, he'll have the mechanical. Um, but I, yeah, I'm going with Jakobsen. You're going for Wellsford. Uh, but Caleb Ewan also was quite good today. Uh, better than I expected coming third. So. Yeah, but he's got a bit of a deficit because the biased crash yesterday looks pretty yeah, banged yeah. up. So he's not really part of that train at the moment. And he's really been the lead out that has been strong for Lotto in the last three years. And when I look at Guarnieri, I feel like he's... Nice. he's no nice. offense, I feel like he's kind of so over good. when it comes to his lead out capabilities. Yes, he can position riders, but he can't make that real difference at staying at the front or getting past a certain rider and so forth. So... I don't see that making the big difference either. And I feel like Ewan gets bullied off the wheel so many times in sprints anyway. So that's one thing there. When it comes to other sprinters, Binyam's positioning, I don't trust at all. So I'm not, I don't know, if he gets lucky, he can have a good position and so forth. I don't think Pedersen, Binny, or Cockard have the top end. Maybe Binny does 
based on that Swiss sprint, but right. his positioning and his like he doesn't have a last man. It's a really. fucking Swiss sprint, dude. Yeah, but he was quite good, I thought. Um like Van Aert was quick today and he beat him easily. I think he did I think that Swiss sprint was quite good. Um I worry about Wellsford's train. I'm still not convinced by it, frankly. Mesget seemed good for Grunewagen today, but I feel like if Mesgetz had like 2% more, Hildenbegen well, would have been in well, the ideal position. They were trying to do the late move up whilst yeah. Alperson were already doing it yeah. and they're not, they're not at that level and they just got yeah. left in the wind. So anyway, I think it'll be, it'll be another sprint tomorrow. Uh, maybe have a little siesta on your, on your Tuesday. I certainly will be once the break forms. Will we see Total Energy in the break again? Or Arkea most likely. We could see a French breakaway. I think Coffertus should get in the break. Cockard's not winning. I'm sorry, Cock, Lecoq. You'll win stage eight, I'm sure, but not, not tomorrow. Um, Palace won't. Palace won't. It's not worth it. Uh, it's a waste, waste of time. Anyway, hopefully everyone stays upright. I'm glad all the GC guys did today and no one lost time. That's the most important thing. And uh, thanks for listening as always. We'll see you at the recap of stage four tomorrow. Until then, ciao. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.